This podcast is not intended as a substitute for proper diagnosis and medical care by a qualified veterinarian. Furthermore, the views expressed in this podcast are those of our hospital only and are not intended to represent the policies and practices of other animal hospitals. Welcome to the Animal Hospital of North Asheville podcast. I am your host, Gretchen Harwell. Joining me today will be Dr. Morgan Fry, and we will be discussing what it means to be a fear-free certified practice. Before I get to the interview, though, I'm going to tell you a few things about fear-free itself. The first question we need to answer is, what is fear-free? I've pulled this information directly from fear-free's website, which is fearfreepets.com. Fear-Free was founded by Dr. Marty Becker to provide online and in-person education to veterinary professionals, the pet professional community, and to pet families in order to prevent and alleviate fear, anxiety, and stress in pets. Fear-Free offers several programs. They have certification programs for veterinary hospitals, veterinary professionals, including both veterinarians and technicians and assistants, Pet Professionals, which includes a trainer certification and a groomer certification, and a fear-free shelters program, as well as a fear-free happy homes program for pet families. Some of the fear-free concepts that we use in our practice include learning to identify and evaluate stress and the stress response in our patients, including any environmental contributors to that stress. We then use that information to form a considerate approach to care and we offer client education in how to help minimize stress for their pets. In order for a veterinary professional to get certified, that person has to complete an online program containing eight modules, each with a 20-question quiz at the end, and a score of 80% or better must be received on each quiz to move through each of the modules. Now, a hospital certification is actually a lot more involved. First off, a minimum of 25% of staff must be fear-free certified and have active memberships. This 25% must also include 100% of our managers and 50% of our full-time vets. In addition to that, we have to have written protocols of how we are implementing fear-free in our practice and there has to be an on-site visit from a fear-free representative who gives the overall approval. Furthermore, each year this all has to be renewed and more and more of our staff have to be certified in order to keep our accreditation as a fear-free certified hospital. The Animal Hospital of North Asheville is proud to be the first animal hospital in WNC to get a fear-free hospital certification. We believed so much in the fear-free program that we went all in and we started out with 100% of our vets and over 70% of our staff already being certified. And now that we've covered the basics of fear-free, we're going to move into our interview with Dr. Fry. Dr. Fry, thank you for joining me. Um, I want to ask you a few questions about yourself. Where did you go to vet school? I went to the University of Georgia. Um, for veterinary school. Okay, very cool. And then uh, what was it that brought you to Asheville and the Animal Hospital of North Asheville? Um, I was practicing in Chicago for uh, about three and a half, four years before just deciding the winters got too cold. They do that. <laughs> they do. So um, it was a nice uh, 
change of climate. It's a little closer to home for me. I grew up in West Virginia, so I get to be a little closer to family down here. Uh, the reason why I chose the Animal Hospital in North Asheville is there were, there were a couple things, actually. One of them was that it was uh, accredited by the American Animal Hospital Association, which uh, is a way to just ensure that they practice really great medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beyond what is normally required by state boards. Um, and one of the other things was they were fear-free certified. And it, it is one of the things that I think makes practicing a lot better as a doctor. Mm-hmm. It also makes it a lot easier on uh, pets and their owners when they come into the vet too. Cool. And so, so by my understanding, you were fear-free certified as a doctor prior to coming to us. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. I was fear-free certified at my last practice um, and I uh, really liked it. So again, it's one of the things that brought me here. Awesome. And then um, how long have you been with us at Animal Hospital of North Asheville? Oh, that's a good question. Um, November 2017, so a little over two years now. Cool. Going on three. Congratulations. And then do you have an area of practice that you particularly enjoy? Um, There's a couple things. I I, uh, really like doing ultrasounds. I like surgery a lot too. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I think one of the main things is just talking to people every day. One mm-hmm. thing I always have in common with whoever is coming in is uh, like animals. So. There it is. That's a that? good reason. <laughs> yeah. Something okay. to talk about. Okay. Um, so how do you view Fair Free? So I think of it as a way of preventing animals from undergoing stress and uh, being scared when they come into the vet. It's trying to minimize things as best as possible. And we're going to... Um, really prioritize things so that we address medical necessity um, and, and make sure that everything is done in a safe way for them so they can be as healthy as possible. But we're not going to push our limits and uh, get pets to a point where they're going to um, really resent coming to the vet or set them up for problems and they come in in a stressful right. situation or a more critical time down the road. Cool. Okay. And um what are some common signs of FAS in some dogs? So uh, FAS is fear, anxiety, and stress. Right. Um, that, and it's one of the things that we're looking for in dogs. Um, there can be some really obvious signs like uh, a dog that's growling at you or mm-hmm. barking at you as soon as you um, walk in the door and see them. Right. But it can also be some more subtle things uh, such as uh, turning away from you um, also, um, panting a lot, um, showing uh, a lot of tail wagging or um, taking treats really aggressively. These are all real subtle things that dogs will do when right. they're a little more nervous. And they're things that people who don't know to look for them would probably miss, right? Is that... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's not always intuitive. I mean, I, I've been doing this for uh, quite a while now. I've been practicing for about six years and then uh, been in the profession for about 10. But there's a lot of things that you don't really notice until someone points it out to you. Um, like the, the fact that some dogs will actually smile a little bit and pull their lips back really far or, right. or just subtly look away. Or, right. Yeah. Like yawning is another yawning thing. Yawning is another thing that, right. that we don't always think about. But that's just, if they have no reason to be tired when they come in here and they just start yawning, it means they're, they're nervous. Right. Okay. And now cats are less exuberant in general than dogs. So what are some common signs and also some less common signs in cats? So 
So the thing about cats, ear position plays a pretty big role, mm -hmm. um, it, whether or not their ears are, are forward and they're curious and inquisitive or um, if their ears could be more pinned back or turned off to the side, it means they're a little more alert and trying to be aware of what's going on around them. Um, hiding in cats is another thing we think about. Um, being reluctant to get out of a, a cat carrier sometimes is another thing right. that is indicative of that. So it's not just a, a cat that's hissing and swatting at you. It's, it's some right. much more subtle things than that. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, now, what is it about anxiety and stress that is so bad in our pets? Because, I mean, in humans, you know, you can just go decompress and you get over it and you're fine, but it doesn't really work that way for them. Yeah, and I, I think the main thing is that every time that they come in and they're stressed out and it, it continues to escalate, escalate and they move past um, a point where they feel comfortable, it's setting them up for failure the next time they come in. Um, and makes things more difficult for them then. And it, it's, it, we really can't sit there and tell them that like, hey, this is something that, uh, that you are going to have to deal with for a couple of minutes like you can to a person. They don't right. really know that there's an end to whatever the, the experience is when they get boxed up into the car and come to the veterinarian and they get vaccinated if we have to draw blood. So right. if we can do things to um, make them associate this uh like a veterinary hospital as a, a positive thing rather than something negative it's very beneficial okay and i know that also like sometimes if there's some kind of unrelated past trauma like the example that i've been given is say two dogs are playing one kind of nails the other one on the ear and now from here on out they're going to be sensitive to that ear so it's not even necessarily something you as the doctor did or to to make this pet scared it's just past trauma that they carry forward is that right and that's a really good example too because if you have a dog that's sensitive with anyone touching its ear what happens if your dog develops an ear infection it's right. not an easy way to treat that um, if your dog is trying to run away from you every time you want to put an, an eardrop in right um, and so that's what we're, we're trying to do is make sure these situations don't happen because um, for their own benefit so we have to be able to, to work with them um, down the road cool and what are a few things that clients can do starting at home to minimize FAS for an upcoming visit? You know, one of the, the bigger things I think about is getting them used to being in the car um, or a carrier. So uh, dogs, if they're used to going on car rides, it, it can make things a little less stressful for them. You know, if they are used to, to getting in there and going someplace that has a positive association, like a dog park is beneficial. Um, cats, you can leave carriers out and get them used to them as maybe a sleeping spot where they can feel nice, safe, and secure, and it's not just a, uh, a place of punishment for them. Um, so th those are uh, two things I think about. Um, mm -hmm. There are also some other tools we have. We can use things like pheromones to, to help make that both animals feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, those are just some of the examples I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. And, and if a client wanted to go to learn more about where they, um, how our fear-free visits start at home, they can find that on our website. Is that correct? Yeah. We actually have a, a link on um, our website, which is ahna.net, Animal Hospital North Asheville, would be the abbreviation for that. Um, and we can uh, learn a little bit more about what you can do at home just to make the, um, the visit go a little bit better and what you can do to get them 
set up for a, a less stressful um, visit because really if they're if they're getting nervous their whole way here it, and it's basically just escalating the entire time and right. can make their get closer to that point of being triggered and, and trying to run away or um, maybe uh, the dog that's normally incredibly sweet turns and tries to, to nip just because they're right. so scared and it's, right. it's just a, a fear response for it, them. It is, it is. Um, and then, so you mentioned pheromones. What are a few of the non-pharmaceutical tools that we use to minimize stress, including, I mean, I know you mentioned pheromones. What are a few more? Um, so one of them I think about would be uh, feel away is a pheromone uh, diffuser and spray that they make for cats. There's a dog version of that also called Adaptal, and they're, mm-hmm. they're both uh, appeasing pheromones to the animals that help with uh inter-dog and inter-cat communication to let them know that they're they're not a threat to the other animal when they, they greet each other. Right. Um, so those are um, some things we think about. Also, um, I think minimizing stress in having owners stay with their pet when they're here is another mm-hmm. thing that we, we try to do because then there's at least a familiar face in the room for reassurance and they don't have to go with the uh, added stress and anxiety from separation there too. Um, Also, you can bring favorite toys from home, um, which is beneficial. Having separate interests for dogs and cats can also decrease the um, thing. So those are just some of the more basic things that we can do where you don't have to use medications for it. Right. And, and all of our staff is pretty highly trained in how to handle our pet, your pets and all of those things. And we also, I mean, like this is all in addition to all of those things that you mentioned, like right down to how our exam rooms are set up. Right. Right. And so in our exam rooms, uh, like I mentioned, we have separate entrances. We also Mm -hmm. have separate dog and cat exam rooms. So that way a cat doesn't have to come in and smell a dog that, um, the entire time that they're here, right. if, especially if they're in a, a household where there's no dogs, it can be a very overwhelming sensation. And then um, vice versa for dogs, too. They want to be in a room where there have been cats just because it may um, get them a little more uh, stressed out. Yeah, a little more keyed up. <laughs> a, a keyed up to what's going on. Um, we also use those uh, diffusers and, and sprays that I mentioned, the Adaptal and the Feel-Away in our mm-hmm. exam rooms between every visit uh, to try to make things uh, a little easier for them. Um, and then, uh, we'll have different treats in the rooms for them right. too, so that that way they can get used to the staff and see them as friendly. Um, and one of the things too, that we we've started doing more recently is our, our doctors don't wear white coats anymore. Um, if you think about it, it you really don't ever see a, a person walking around in a white coat outside of a hospital setting. So it's uh, just like people get white coat syndrome when they go to the doctor. They get right. a little more nervous. The mm-hmm. pets get it too because it's really the only place they're going to see it. So we've tried to move away from that. And uh, just that bright white color is also kind of uh, alarming to them. Yeah, it's too. like a beacon. <laughs> it is. It's a beacon. It's not something you really see in nature. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, that's one more thing we're trying to move away from. Cool. Um, and then you mentioned the treats. And so I have to ask, seriously, what is with all of the <laughs> treats? We go through so many liver treats. Yeah, we do. And, and the goal is not to make them car sick on their way home. I know sometimes people ask that, but the idea is if you come into a place where you basically you just get a buffet of wonderful things and it, it makes it a lot easier for us to do a lot of our handling. It's a great distractor from things like drawing blood and giving vaccines. And um, that, that's the whole idea behind it. And mm-hmm. I see there's a pretty big be- benefit for dogs that come in 
as puppies and through adulthood, they just are really used to seeing this as the place. This is where I get all the good treats and I get to have a really good time. So we're, we're not trying to go overboard with it, but we're just trying to build a positive association with this new environment. For right. Them. And so let's say we have a dog that is sensitive. They have food allergies. Are we going to force our liver treats down them? or We're not. We? <laughs> we have some other things we can use. We have hypoallergenic treats that we mm-hmm. can use. Um, people can also bring their own treats from home. If you mm-hmm. know that your dog has a favorite snack that it'll take over anything else in the world, right. bring it with you. And then also if they, they arrive a little hungry, it's beneficial. I'm not saying that you... You know, you know, starve them prior to, right. to coming in, but just so they have that little bit of Give extra motivation, motivation to, to stay distracted as we're doing things like uh, listening to their heart, checking their ears out, looking at their eyes, mm-hmm. um, and, and drawing blood. Right. Very cool. Um, and now when a patient starts showing some signs of stress, what are a couple of ways that we will modify our approach? Um, so... There, there are quite a few things we can do. Um, one of them I think about is just doing more minimal handling for them. That's the simplest mm-hmm. thing. Um, just kind of minimizing how much contact you're making with the patient, less physical restraint, and giving them um, more space to themselves, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we can also move to using drugs to decrease their anxiety, too. Right. And we'll use different anxiolytic drugs to make them feel a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. The goal isn't to make them really sedate or, or sleepy, um, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just to um, make them feel a little more comfortable, almost like a, a person that is a fear of flying, taking a Xanax before getting on a plane. You don't right. want them to be... Just cut the anxiety. Just to to get rid of the anxiety portion of things for them. Okay. Now, the outdated kind of old school approach was basically, you know, back when I started practicing even, was hold them down and get the job done. And I know there's a lot of problems with that approach. We've evolved a lot since back in the dark ages when I started. Can you elaborate on, like, why we don't do this, why we're going to advocate for your pet for a different approach? Yeah, so the reason why we do that is we are going to... Uh, develop a patient dog or cat that's going to be more anxious when they come in in subsequent visits and it may lead to us having to give them more medications than we really necessarily would need. So if we can get to a point where we can stop and regroup and maybe give them something to take the edge off a little bit and give them um, a little bit of space, try again or maybe try again on a different day, it'll prevent us from having um, a really fearful and unhappy patient down the road. Okay. I think that makes a heck of a lot more sense than just pinning them to the floor and, right. and doing the job. Right. right. Um, and now you've mentioned some drugs a couple of times. Um, some people, you know, like are still a little reluctant for this, but so can you just describe what it is the drug, the drugs are doing? I know you said anxiolytic. Can you tell us what that is and what's that, what is that for? Yeah, so anxiolytic is a, a fancy way of saying we're trying to remove anxiety. Okay. Um, and what we're really trying to do is just get them to a point where they're they're not scared and their adrenaline isn't pumping, their blood pressure isn't increasing, and um, we can keep them in a, a nice, comfortable um, spot. So, um, again, it, it's not with a goal of making them so sedate that they can't um, be a normal dog after their appointment. Mm-hmm. It's just getting them to the point where they feel more comfortable being here and um, are able to go about their day and the rest of their week um, very well and um, where we can get treatments done for the benefit of their health. Okay. I feel like that's a really sound 
sound reason to use these drugs. And now um, our protocol for using drugs as needed for a visit is a little bit different than when they're coming in for a surgery or a dental. Can you tell us a little bit more about why the um, pre-visit pharmaceuticals are helpful in like, what is the difference for these situations? Do you know what I mean? Well, I think the biggest difference is that if we're going in for surgery or dental procedure, um, they are going to have some uh, discomfort associated with that procedure, um, which is going to increase their anxiety anyway. Uh, Their owner isn't necessarily going to be with them when anesthesia is happening. We try to accommodate people up until the very point of that happening here. Right. Um, But it's it's just a little bit more uh, stressful and there's more hands-on stimulation there would be in um, other procedures like like vaccination appointment exactly. or yeah they're here a lot longer they're here a lot longer they have a, um, a lot more time to to get nervous and then that anxiety can actually make us have to use higher dosages of our anesthetic drugs mm. so it helps with our safety margin too right so this is like a multimodal approach as they would call it, it. is yeah so if we have a, a dog that's calm coming in maybe they need a little less anesthesia and then therefore they recover from anesthesia faster and um, also they can have better pain control too because they're not going to override their pain drugs with um, anxiety and, and stress okay and so the goal of all this really is just to minimize um, you know stressful situations and improve outcomes is that basically yeah I mean, that's it it's trying to minimize the the stress on the dog which translates to less stress on the owner and Sorry, I should say pet, not dog, but minimize stress on the pet, dog, or cat, minimize stress on the owner of um, the animal. And then it allows us to do more um, in the animal hospital, which is beneficial in making sure our patients are healthier. So that's kind of our, our big picture approach to that. If we can do more to help pets, that's great for everybody. It really is. So we've talked about things that can be done before a visit, but what about, what can families do during a visit? Yeah, so there's quite a a bit of things. I know we've mentioned treats quite a few times. Sometimes it's as simple as having um, the owner feed treats to their pet when they're here. Taking feedback from our staff helps. Um, You obviously know your dog better than us, but we're trying to position you in a way that your animal can see you um, and feel comfortable with you and uh, allow us to do our job as least disruptive as possible. Um, So that'll help. Um, And then uh, if you guys have input too into what you think your animal's doing, I think that's also beneficial too. Yes. Yes. Uh, or, I mean, even if you say, oh, I've never seen my cat do this or, right, right. you know, this is really unusual. Yeah. And, and all those things help to uh, get things done in a timely manner um, without drawing out procedures because right. really we're not trying to do this really speedily, but just getting it done efficiently is our, our goal with that right. too. Right. To minimize even the chance of more stress building. Right. Up. Okay. Right. Thank you for that information. Are there any other points that you would like to make about being a fear-free practice or our fear-free approach? Um, I was going to say one of the other things you can do is if you are working with a trainer um, 
for your dog or cat, um, it can be beneficial to talk to them about what your pet doesn't like at the veterinarian um, and what things you can do at home to get them used to handling here. Things like touching their feet so they can get used to nail trims, um, playing with their ears so they're not worried if we have to take a look inside of them. Also raising their lip just to, so we can evaluate their teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are really simple. Um, the uh, I guess the, the main overall point of, of the fear-free practice uh, initiative is we want to make everybody happy when we're here. So again, we can keep animals healthy as possible. Um, and it's not just the staff at the veterinary hospital that does that. It's also the, the people that come in with their pets and um, their pets too. And we're, we are trying to be advocates for their pets and translate for them. Um, but we certainly want um, pet owners to speak up for us too, so we can all work together to make this a, a positive experience. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Fry. I appreciate your time. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk to you. Again, this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and it is specifically intended for clients of the Animal Hospital of North Asheville. If today's episode has contradicted information given to you by your veterinarian, please adhere to your practice's advice and policies. This brings us to the end of the episode. If you aren't already, we'd love it if you'd stay connected with us on social media. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may your life be full of puppy love and kitten kisses.